Hi, Dr. Eric Westman here, and it's my great pleasure to have Dr. Vera Tarman with me today. We're going to be talking about sugar addiction, a food addiction. Is it real? What is it? What can you do about it? Hi, Vera. How are you doing? Hi, hi, Eric. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure, and I, I need to just go over your bio in front of you. I know that's that's always a little bit nerve-wracking, but uh, Dr. Tarman is the medical director of one of Canada's largest treatment centers for substance abuse. She's internationally renowned for her work on food addiction and sugar addiction and author of the book, Food Junkies, Recovery from Food Addiction, as well as co-host of the popular podcast, Food Junkies. Dr. Tarman is highly respected in her field and has given talks at international meetings, but has also lived the food addiction life herself as a recovering food addict. I understand that you've lost and maintained over a hundred pound weight loss. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. So so the the academic side, the real world living street credibility side, it, my pleasure to have you here. And I've learned so much from you over the last few years. I want to just thank you as, before we get into this, and because there was a niche or, or an element that I didn't quite understand as a keto doctor, a medical doctor, although my history in tobacco cessation kind of primed me for this, and you helped me kind of blend these two worlds that I thought were, were you know, not you know, together, but they really are for so many people. Uh, so thank you. And I, I suppose people are wondering is, is what is food addiction? How, how do you define it? You know, is it really a thing? Okay, thank you. I'm happy to answer that question. But if I can, first of all, just thank you back to you, because um, I was really delighted when you were interested in the subject of food addiction, you know, a few years ago, when we initially had contact, um, because I discovered that the keto movement was using a food addiction friendly plan. And I was trying my best to get people to accept a food addiction plan with so much resistance. And then I just stumbled upon you uh, and a community of people who are doing it happily. And it was like, what, how are you able to get people to do something that I could not do? And so anyway, so it's a happy marriage as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. So uh, the definition of food addiction is actually even controversial within the community itself. We're struggling, you know, should we call it sugar addiction? Because certainly sugar addiction is almost everybody agrees, yes, sugar is addictive. I mean, the research is, is, there's more and more research showing that that's the case. It's kind of hard to argue that. I mean, yes, you'll find people who do to argue that, but th there is more and more mounting research. But should we expand and just call it food addiction? Now it's a favorite, uh, I'm going to define what these terms actually mean, but I just want to say, first of all, that we haven't landed on a term that we're happy with at this point. And probably the one that we're the most likely to settle on is processed food addiction, because I think most of, most of us recognize that sugar addiction, yes, there is addiction to sugar, as I said, all the research that's mounting. Um, but now there's more and more uh, murmurings about processed food addiction. So it's not just sugar, it's also flour, it's basically processed foods, processed oils, it's processed foods, not just sugar. And it's not necessarily only the ingredient, ingredient of sugar, but in the in, the actual mechanics of food being processed, that something's happening there. So that will incorporate a larger umbrella. Personally, I still like the term food addiction because it makes for an even larger umbrella, which might include then foods that are not processed, like dairy, uh, like uh, nuts. I mean, dairy is somewhat processed, but it's not, you know, in the same way um, as uh, flour and cakes and candies and whatnot. Anyway, it, it opens up to the, the concept that there are trigger foods that can even be healthy and also food behaviors like restricting or overeating, um, uh, volume addiction. So it opens up the umbrella much larger, but likely we will settle on the concept of processed food addiction. So I had to say that because we're not even decided on what we should say, but let's, for the purposes of our talk today, use my de definition, which is food addiction, because it opens well, up uh, so many more possibilities. 
So what, what, but what would the practical reality of that definition be for someone watching? How, how do you know if you are a food addict? Well, let, 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 okay, so let me give the definition. Um, uh, I, I, one, one thing I want to say is that uh, before we get to how do you know, um, okay. why is it that people don't even think about it? Um, why, okay. you know, is it even um, uh, an entity? And it, it's, you know, it's not in the DSM-5. It's not in the... Um, clinical mindset of most physicians especially obesity physicians uh which you would think it would be but it's not it's not in the mindset of general practitioners people who are dealing with uh uh even the eating disorder community it's not in the mindset of that and part of that is because it has not yet been um acknowledged sort of on the clinical level it's definitely been acknowledged in the popular um internet uh lived experience you know uh, people are talking about it amongst themselves but uh clinically it's not really being acknowledged so, so we have to borrow because we're calling it you and i are using this word addiction um so we have to borrow from the addicted addiction community and the addiction literature because we can't use the food literature we can't use the obesity literature they're not talking this this conversation um and so um when i want to define what sugar or food or processed food addiction is it's whatever that thing we're talking about is that we're addicted to what are the behaviors this is going to answer your question this is a long answer to your question how do i, how do I know if i'm a food addict right? yes exactly yeah. so what are the behaviors that we expect now this would be for any addiction including cigarettes you mentioned cigarettes and that's probably why um, you and I are, are you know, um, diving together on this topic, because I actually think food addiction is very similar to tobacco addiction. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. But so we're looking for specific addictive behaviors. And let me give you the medical terminology, first of all, and then we'll look at the actual specifics of somebody listening going, well, is that me? Uh, so the medical um, large definition would be of addiction is just any neuropsychological, social, behavioral disorder that is uh, characterized by compulsive, maladaptive behaviors, we'll talk about those in a minute, that a patient is unable to control or stop despite harmful consequences. So there's three elements to that. The okay. Compulsive, maladaptive behavior. Did you want to say something? Yeah, no, but it, it, I'm have to have you say it in different language. Yes, I, I'm going to. I'm going to. So, but I just just to, just to boil that down: compulsive yeah. maladaptive behavior, unable to stop despite negative consequences. So, what does compulsive maladaptive behavior mean? It means that you're behaving around food in a way that is compulsive and maladaptive. It's a problem. So, for example, do I eat more than I intend to? And these are the questions that if you I'm going to give you a bunch of questions now and you can go on the internet and just type in what are the 20 questions for any addiction, including food addiction, and you'll find this. Um, do you um, eat more than you anticipate? I plan to eat only a little bit. I'm going to have just a couple of bars of, or, or chips or I don't know what, but you end up eating the whole thing and then um, somebody else's as well. Like you, it's far more than you meant to. Um, do, do you um, eat in a way that you don't want other people to know. Like, in other words, you'll eat privately or you'll lie. You won't, you'll say, you know what? I eat really well, but you don't tell people about what happens when you get home at night um, and you're alone. Or, um, or late at night, in the middle it, of the night. Exactly. And even to the point of when you're sleeping. So we got this concept of a night eating. Uh, and, and when people are night eating, they're not eating, you know, their celery sticks and their <laughs> steak bits, uh, bacon bits. No, they're eating stuff the ice that, cream. you know, they, Right. They, they see the wrappers on the floor. So even to themselves, they're not admitting it. Um, so it might come to the point where they're lying about their eating. Um, uh, so maladaptive behaviors. So you're lying about it. You're eating foods that you don't want to be eating. You know, you've been told by your doctor, you're diabetic. You have to stop eating uh, whatever, you know, refined food you're eating. And you may even realize, yes, I have a problem. Here are, here are the, uh, this is the maladaptiveness, the, the negative consequences, but you can't stop. Um, so you, uh, often what happens is, is when people try to stop, it then becomes like this game of deprivation. I'm going to have this. Now I'm going to stop. So anybody recognizes this behavior. You have a lot then you decide I better stop. And then you find that you're eating more. And then you find that you're obsessing about it uh, to the point where that's 
that is the mental landscape is you're thinking about that food or you're thinking about the consequences, the negative consequences. I'm going to gain weight. And that becomes the mental chatter in your mind all the time. So are you thinking about food all the time? Are you craving particular foods that you wish you didn't? Are you trying to stop? Are you lying about your food? Uh, uh, Embarrassed about it? Feel shame? These are all the uh, behaviors that are associated with any addiction. Uh, alcohol fits perfectly with this as well, uh, but food does for sure. Uh, and uh, it, 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 usually you don't worry about it until you have negative consequences because there's negative consequences. So those are the the, the 20 questions. Um, or there's more. Do you, Like I said, do you lie about it? Do you eat in secret? Do you eat foods um, that you threw away because you said, oh, my God, I, I got to get rid of this and then sneak up later and, and eat that food again? Do you are you willing to drive across the city uh, to get that favorite treat that you want because the, the local store doesn't have it? Like, are you willing to go to the lengths that you would not do for, um, you know, a celery stick? Like, it's yeah. just behaviors that are out of the norm around food. Well, and so um, one other issue that just really you know, hits our hearts as, as practitioners trying to help people. Yes. Why do people blame themselves? Yes. The process? Because I, I, I joke in my clinic that I won't let you beat yourself up in here. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm here to support you and, it, and it's not your fault. And yet everyone comes in thinking it's their fault, even if it's cigarettes, even if it's, uh, you know, Snickers bars or, yes. or ice cream. Why, what part of addiction is it that, that uh, in yeah, our brain you know, that th- blame this, ourselves? If I can make another analogy, uh, this is like a person who has Tourette's, you know, if, you know, that Tourette's being this sort of person has twitches or they, they bark or they make funny sounds or something like that. And if you say to them, hey, you know, can you stop that? Because it's kind of noisy or it's bothersome. They could actually stop. They could stop. They could hold still and not twitch, but they can't stop the urge. There's a mental thing that's going on that is building and building and building. And then the moment that you turn away, they're going to start twitching because they need to get it out of them. So Mm. uh, people will say, I should just stop. Just Vera, stop this eating, you know, behave myself. Well, yes, I can, because I can voluntarily pick this thing up and drink or, or eat and not, but I can't stop the desire. Once that's in my mind, it's triggering something in my brain, uh, which is the whole concept of addiction. That's what we're talking about today. That thing is beyond my control. It's in a part of my brain, just like the Tourette's person, that you can control the uh, voluntariness of it, but it's very short-lived. And that urge, that craving will trump, it will overpower because it's in a part of the brain that overpowers voluntary um, uh, choice. And when people say you should just stop, it's, you know, it's with moralistic uh, uh, statement because they can stop, but they don't have that urge and that, that need to, um, well, basically that urge that's as powerful as the person who's suffering. So really, I mean, you're, what you're trying to suggest to that person is, you know, you have to have compassion. You have, people don't like to use the word disease. You have a disorder. You have something going on in the brain that has been miswired. Uh, and that's not your fault. It's if anybody's fault, it's the food industry, which has tapped into that and has extent, ex, um, ex, extenuated that, exaggerated that. Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind the scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Doctors Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. So a colleague of mine recently, a medical colleague even said, uh, there's no food that you have to eat. Yeah. You can't be addicted to food. And I'm like, no, you don't have to eat garbage. No, you don't have to eat garbage. Exactly. That's like saying you have to breathe if you're trying to get the person to quit smoking. Well, you have to breathe. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you don't have to put cancer sticks in exactly. your mouth as you yeah. breathe. And yeah. yet that, that just kind of defies logic that, and a lot of doctors come at this, just put down the food, step back from the table, and, and they don't get it. So yeah. we're dealing, yeah. we're in a medical world that doesn't understand. In fact, the obesity medicine world, it's funny you should say, yeah, most obesity medicine doctors don't understand this. I went to my most recent medicine it's called the OMA, Obesity Medicine Association. And one yeah. of my colleagues came up to me. I've known him for years. He said, Eric, Dr. Westman, Eric, that's the first time you ever said addiction, food addiction. And I didn't realize. I mean, so much time had passed. Yes. I feel like I've talked about this forever now. But but yeah, there yes. was probably a time when I didn't really understand the degree to which food is so similar. I mean, but you've dealt with other addictions. Uh, you might explain in the, your background, yes. how is food addiction similar or different than these yeah. other, what people perceive as hardcore addictions? Yeah. So, I mean, that, that is a really, it's, it's a real eye-opening experience for me uh, working in uh, the field of addiction. So I'm just going to give you a great example. I work in a treatment center, a residence. So I get to see um, people come in for a month and they're, they're living there uh, and they will come in and they're coming off of drugs like crystal meth or um, alcohol, like serious alcohol, like seizures, if they stop, um, cocaine and actually we're seeing more and more people with cannabis as well believe it or not uh, but because it's it's becoming so prevalent now um so but it, some of these drugs are pretty serious drugs i think about crystal meth as being probably one of the most potent um drugs that will bring a person down so that they lose their functionality within two or three years and fentanyl mm. addiction as well which is opiate addiction but fentanyl being being fentanyl and crystal meth are like the most potent of their category of drugs they're most potent so so people the guys are coming in or the women are coming in um you know they're detoxing off of that drug and then what what inevitably happens is they say i can't understand why I am eating so much. Now, if you're coming off of a stimulant, yes, definitely you want to eat a lot because you haven't been eating and there's that urge to eat for the first two or three days. But we're talking third week, fourth week, and they're eating not uh, uh, good food that, well, I'm not going to say that the treatment centers give necessarily good food, but they're not giving candy bars and whatnot. But they have, they do have a, a machine, a vending machine in their center that people are constantly going and getting soda pop and uh, chips and whatnot. And say, I don't know why I'm eating all this. Uh, and then often what I've seen is over the, over the uh, months when I sometimes see them and follow up, their belly is getting bigger and bigger. They're gaining weight. Initially they were happy because they thought, wow, I'm gaining weight. That's good. And, but then they realize it's all pound, uh, packing around their, their center, uh, which of course we know is uh, visceral obesity and not good. And they're starting to um, realize, well, I better stop eating this way. And they can't. And the, the, the telling thing for me is, over and over and over again, I hear people saying, this is harder to quit than the alcohol. And when I heard people saying, this is harder to quit than crystal meth, I mean, that was just, that just floored me the first time I heard that. It's harder to quit sugar and yes. food than crystal meth. Yes. Wow. Harder to quit sugar than crystal meth. And you think, why would that be? So crystal meth, the drug of crystal meth is so powerful that you may be, you know, the, the guy is begging on the street, can you give me some money? And and you know that they haven't eaten. So you might decide, okay, let's hope they're not going to use it for drugs. They're going to use it for food. They they need that, but they will still go and use it for uh, the, the drug despite the fact that they need that little extra 10 or 20 bucks, whatever you gave them. Um, uh, so when, when you've got something that potent and then the person says sugar was harder, why do we not see that? Uh, well, I, so some things that strike me is that it's yeah. legal and it's easy to get. Exactly. How, how can it be bad? Exactly. And we call it food uh, when it's not food. It's a food product. Uh, it, it, it's not a food. Otherwise, we would, the person wouldn't be addicted to it with the, the potency, with the crystal meth potency. But when the only way we can get a whiff of it, that it is that potent, besides when, when a person is actually trying to stop, is if, they, if you say to the person, you know what, just for tonight, I don't want you to have your uh, special treat that you have before you go to sleep or um you know after after your meal you're just going to have the you probably came up with this eric don't you have this when you're presenting your 20 gram keto plan well, when you present your i mean there you are they're coming to you and you're saying i've got a solution 
here's a diet plan and I want you to follow it. Isn't the first reaction, you're kidding, you want me to stop eating all these carbs? Oh, people cry. Exactly. For that. Yes, yeah. that's it. And the, the, the level of crying is probably the level of addiction. So if somebody, that's where you get a whiff of the problem is when you ask the person to stop even for that meal or that day. Well, of um, course, I, I, I pitch it, I, I frame it in the you know, hear all the great things that will happen. And, yes. and of course, you can have ribeye steak and all these other things, yes. which I guess is kind of like giving a, 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 a methadone or suboxone or some, yes. some uh, you know, to me, sugar free jello is like a, a crutch to get you off sugar. Yes. Uh, but, but the total cessation of the the drug is like what I teach the, the keto diet is a total, pretty much cessation of all of the the sugar and starch, the addictive element. And so yes. that's kind of similar to other treatments for addiction. Yes, yes. And you have to go through a withdrawal. And so once we start talking the language of addiction, we start to recognize what we see clinically. The person, like you said, cries or they have some reaction. And then, you know, you, you give them some hope. But they're going to come back. And I don't know. I'm sure you've had the experience where people are relapsing. They come back and go, I tried. You know, I tried and I I, I, I lost weight, but I'm eating it again. I don't know how to stop. I, I had cravings. Yes. Yes. So, so the hallmark of withdrawal syndrome, right, is that you do have cravings for the substance that you Ab stopped. Absolutely. And, and when people say... I hear this all the time too. I can't, uh, uh, doctors don't want uh, to uh, ask somebody to stop because they'll say, they'll just get, feel deprived and then they'll binge and use more, which is true. Um, that will, that will happen. So what you have to do is help the person through that period of time because what they're going through is withdrawal. The deprivation that the person feels that night or the next, the next few days is part of the withdrawal. It's an enhanced need to feel uh normal again because you're not taking your drug and when the alcoholic doesn't take their their drug they get shaky and sweaty and agitated when the person who's quitting smoking doesn't get their drug all they can think about is that cigarette and they're getting antsy like they're feeling deprived yes but because we normalize food we say we shouldn't do that to people what we got to do instead is say this is post-acute withdrawal it lasts about I don't know, three days, if you're lucky, four three days, days yeah, up, yeah. up to sometimes up to two weeks or three weeks, depending on the person, how long they've been doing it, how much it's, I mean, it, it depends on the person. I, I would say anywhere, if you're lucky, like you said, three to four days to three weeks, it's over. It's over then. Uh, it's not like this is going to be life. you got to get through this actual withdrawal process and well, the, then you're on the, the other side. Treatment of withdrawal, what am I doing when I tell someone just make up a big bowl of sugar-free Jello, uh -huh. put it in the fridge, let it set, and you can have one or two or three. You can have as much of that as you want because yes. no carbs in it. You don't get the yes the sugar and insulin rise, and yet it's giving that sweet taste that mimics the sugar. Yes. So what is that called in the addiction medicine? Well, it, it, it's it's a, it's I guess it's called the harm reduction. It is like you said earlier. It's like a methadone or a suboxone. Uh, to help the person get off the opiate. And in and, and that early stage, if that keeps the person in the game, I would say do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I even had someone who came back and said, you know, the first few days, you said I could have as, many, as much bacon, <laughs> as much bacon. I had three pounds of bacon every day. And I was like, good Lord, what have I done? And yeah. then, but after a few days, the thrill wore off and I got over it. Yeah. So in those first few days, I've heard the darndest stories about using yeah. the the tools that aren't sugar but it's yes. getting people away from the yes. sugar even That's to the right. point of avoidance right yes if I, you I, if you would always purchase whatever at the ball game that was carved don't go to the ball game for a few yeah, weeks right? exactly that's actually one of the tools is don't go to the ball game you know, people I, I i'm going to use myself as an example i used to go to movies all the time i love movies um and then i realized that actually what i really loved was the big and I'm talking big thing of popcorn that I used to have. I'd have mine and I'd have my partner's because she wasn't going to eat it all. Um, and, and when I stopped doing that stuff, suddenly my interest in in uh, movies was not that strong. Or when I went to a movie, all I could think about was the popcorn that I couldn't have. So I stopped going for two or three years. Now I can go. 
Uh, so it, it, you have to apply some tools and recognize it. It's like having respect for this thing that's happened. Um, and then this thing, meaning this addiction that's within, and you will work your way through it, but you have to, you have to treat it with respect and compassion and, and whatnot. So if you, if using um, a big bowl of jello does it for the first few days or even the first month, do it, do it. Cause it'll get you over. And then you'll, you obviously don't want to be eating that kind of sweetener. Cause that's going to trigger the, the desire for sweet. We want to actually get beyond the desire for sweet to, so that just having the sweet of a vegetable um, is enough. Uh, just having the the pleasure of food well, without enhanced sweet will be enough. It will be eventually. Having grown up as a you know a Halloween candy oh. barter for my my favorite candy, I, I will still have sweet things, but they they in no way have sugar. So I, I've kind of come to that piece myself by yeah. allowing for these other sweeteners. I know a lot of zealots say don't have them but i stay within the realm of yes. sugar-free sweets yes. so well, well actually what you're doing and I, I i i think this is really important is when you go into early stage food addiction um treatment uh, often there's some pretty um rigid rules about what to do and that might be appropriate for the first month or so but it's actually really a good idea to work with the person. That's why we say you should have a coach or a sponsor or somebody that you're working with to tailor it to you. So uh, what, what eventually will happen is that, so you, Eric, say, say okay, I want to have a little bit of sweet once in a while. And I know that if I have, if I contain it, I can manage this. Somebody else may not be able to manage it. Or maybe you can manage um, the 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 jello, but there's no way you could manage a, a particular keto treat. I mean, some I look at some of those and go, oh my God, there's no way I could just have one of those. But other ones I could have one of. Uh, you so, mean the, the, the keto junk foods that are out there now? Yes. But you have yes. one and then you want to have all six. Exactly. Exactly. I remember when remember when Atkins had his um I forget, forget what those little bars were um they're still around they're still yeah. around. i i would eat the whole thing i, I would eat yeah. tons of those <laughs> but that yeah so i mean well, we laugh yes so that we don't cry exactly right? i mean it, it's uh it gets my to my next question how common is this oh okay well that's so that's another good question because we don't have a definition that's clinically um accepted uh we don't yet have a lot of research because we have some research, and I'm going to tell you uh, what the statistics are there. But we don't have uh, we don't have enough. We need to have more people talking about it. Uh, so, what uh, Ashley Gearhart is probably the person that's done the most research on prevalence because she's actually the one that came up with the uh, sort of medical tools called the Yale um, Food Inventory that will actually diagnose food addiction. She came up with that scale and uh, has been using that scale across various populations to figure out what the prevalence is. So how how prevalent is food addiction in the in in USA in various populations? And the uh, the latest information is it's somewhere around you know, 11 to 14 percent which to give context is about the same amount as alcoholism, uh, that how many alcoholics do we have in society, in uh, American society, in Canadian society, about 10, 11, 12%. Food addiction, maybe a little bit more according to her scale. And then if you look at specific populations, uh, it can be uh, like the obese population or, or people who have had bariatric surgery or um, people who have had mental issues, then we're looking at higher numbers like 20 to 30%. Yeah. And if you're looking at particularly obese populations, this is not her work anymore. This is just other people using the scale. We have uh, numbers anywhere between 30 and 50%, which means, therefore, that somebody who's overweight, um, who's listening, it's probably 50, 40, 50% chance that they are a food addict. But in the general population, I think the number we're going to land on is around 13 to 14%. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? 
And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. That's interesting. That that's also the current prevalence of cigarette smoking. Oh, really? Up now? You know, yeah. 20, 20 years ago, when I was in the tobacco cessation world, the prevalence was thirty percent. Oh wow! So, yeah, so, so that's, that's a, come down yeah. over time, but it, it's taken you know decades. Yeah. I, I hope. I wonder if that's going to happen with sugar over the next. Yeah. Well, years. I I don't. I I'm a little cynical, and I wonder if, in fact, that those smokers are now are your smokers are now my eaters. You know, well, they, they've just they've their addiction. Sorry about that. Yeah. You know, I, um, is there some way to predict who's going to become a food addict, or 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 um, let's say you have a child who's behaving yes. a certain way, or, or um, how do you look at that prediction? Okay, so um, there are some predispositions. So there is genetic predisposition. Therefore, if you uh, look in your family, are there other people who are obese? Now, obesity is not just for food addiction. Absolutely, not. like I said, 40 to 50%. And there's all sorts of other reasons. So the person might not be a food addict, but if they're eating processed foods, they're eating high carb foods, they're gaining weight, um, uh, most likely that's the case. Now, if we're looking previous, like family history, let's be aware that obesity is a phenomena of the of this generation i guess it's like what since the 1970s 80s we've seen a really sharp rise uh, so and and that's a sharp rise to uh, the food industry so if somebody was before that uh chances are they they might have had an issue with food i don't know so if there's obesity in the family that's that there you have a predisposition. And certainly if you are obese, you are definitely going to predispose um, your next generation, your children to obesity. And if you're eating particular foods, processed foods, even while you're pregnant, and Dr. Nicole Avina talks about this at great length, you are predisposing your child to becoming um, a food addict, having a preference for those foods, which is, you know, basically setting the groundwork for food addiction. So genetics. And if you look in your family and there's a history of alcoholism, that is a predisposition for a food addiction. Basically, it's uh, when we've studied alcoholism, we've studied what's called the dopamine 2 receptor um, abnormalities. And th those dopamine 2 receptor abnormalities in alcohol are also um, evident in um, food addicts. So it would then make sense that other addictions like cocaine, I don't know about tobacco, but cocaine or opiates, they also may have a, a dopamine 2 receptor abnormality. So there's basically um, genetics is one predisposition. Um, a second one is if you live in 2023, <laughs> Yes. If you live and you eat the foods of today, you are, um, I, I think it's a question of, I mean, we're saying 14%. It's a question of, it's eventually going to happen if you continue to eat the foods that we are, um, uh, that the food industry is giving us without, without the, without caution. Uh, it's, it's the same as if you live in a society where people are drinking all the time, kids are drinking all the time, they're going to become alcoholics. Like it, it, it's, a, it's just a level of exposure, frequency of exposure and amount of it that it's inevitable because addiction is really just a natural response to an abnormal environment. And the genetics is just that some people respond more quickly than another person. So that's... Um, uh, We've got yeah. genetics, we've got prevalence. Um, uh, I'm just going to think what else. And then we've, we've got the social norms. Like this is the other thing that we already touched on. We call these things food and we call the behaviors around them like Christmas and Easter and Halloween, normal behavior to be giving kids all this stuff. The only way I could say it is, it's like, would we give our children cigarettes and then on Halloween say, this is happy smoke day and you get to smoke as much as you want. And, and it's yeah. just absurd, but we have normalized it so that it's, it's okay. Or, so, would you and it's it? important to keep in mind that we're not just talking about sugar 
as the yes. element. I, I've had people come in and say, oh, I don't have a problem with sugar and sweets. It's bread. <laughs> they can't stop eating bread. Yes. What is it about bread? Well, okay. So then, then we talk about, you know, the, the actual makeup of processed food, because what is bread? But uh, uh, a grain that's been processed, like it's, it's, when you have when you have normal foods like normal vegetables and meats and fats, uh, the, the body it takes a, a fair amount of time for the body to metabolize that food. And uh, whatever sugar is in there is processed within the context of all the other food, and and it's done at a pace that the body you know because of uh, the, how how the body responds via insulin, it 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 it's done at a pace that the body can manage. But when you wallop it with uh, uh huge amounts of sugar the body can't keep up and you're essentially um removing the body's ability to act in a responsible manner that's basically what it is well, so bread neurochemical is, ne a neurochemical hit right? yes it's a it's a neurochemical hit that the body then has to respond back to because it's too much and it's damaging and bread is not it's not, it, it's a grain, but it's a grain that's been processed and it, it becomes, it, it, it is metabolized into sugar. With, something shouldn't take, it should take at least two hours to break down. It's like 10 minutes and it becomes sugar. And then if you eat bread, you're getting this wallop of sugar that instead of over the course of two hours for the, the body can happily, you know, deal with it, the pancreas and the, you know, the, the, the liver, every, everything works nice in sync. But when it's sure. these wallops of this, it can't manage that. And uh, then the brain can't manage that as well. So essentially it, it goes into, I want to say defensive mode. And then you start to see uh, the pattern of addiction, which is actually tolerance, but that that's a whole other conversation, yeah. but well, bread is highly processed. And recently, recently some, one of my patients said, but fruit's good for you. Yes, exactly. Can, can you be addicted to fruit? Yeah. Well, you can, okay. So that's actually fruit is maybe a better example than bread. So fruit in and of itself is not a problem. Um, if you eat it with the fiber and the, and the whatever, and, and if you eat it in the way that we're not talking about fruit of today, but we're talking about fruit of maybe, um, you know, less sweet, like of a of hundred years ago. Okay. Cause again, the food industry has made fruit, almost a drug in and of itself. So if a person is eating fruit of yesterday, uh, and how much could they realistically eat in a day? Um, probably one or two pieces of fruit, maybe over the course of the day, three. After that, they're going to feel bloated and, and uncomfortable and their the, the fiber and everything else would stop them and so that that amount of fructose that the that the liver is getting and the and the brain is getting the hit of the sugar is not so much that it's going to um, be damaging but if you have fruit in the form of fruit juice or or alcohol because what is alcohol but fermented fruit uh, or fermented carbohydrates you're getting way too much so that's that's so is fruit okay? Yes, in extreme moderation. Now, when I what I would like to say is that in today's society where people have been bombarded, so their livers are now ill, their brain is now ill, in other words, addicted, sometimes one or two pieces of fruit, the body can no longer manage, like they become, you know, in your terminology, insulin um, um, resistant. And so that even a, a one piece of fruit is no longer okay. It might've been okay, when they were five or 10 years old and they weren't damaged, but now it may not be okay. That's why we have to individualize our food plans. So in one word. Yes. Can you be addicted to fruit? Um, yes, maybe, no. Uh, yes, sometimes. I would say yes. I mean, not everyone, okay. of course. It depends but, on what fruit it is, too. Like cherries, yes. Bananas, yes, wow. because they're so sweet. You name it. In, in our area, it, it becomes, it's the... Uh, Plums. The peaches, and then, yes. the, then the watermelon, and then the the uh, the um, the grapes that are so sweet. Exactly, and, exactly, yeah. People go from one fruit to the next. Anyway, I, I was just trying to kind of get but, you to... Acknowledge, yeah, sure, you can be addicted to fruit. Yes, Not you can be addicted. You can be addicted to it, you, you, but you don't have to become. If you start early and and you're not living into today's society, the thing is, is we wouldn't be eating the way that we are now. Well, I guess, I guess the answer is yes. 
because addiction <laughs> is just anytime you eat something or do something despite negative consequences and you still do it anyway that's that's the the dynamic of addiction normally um fruits should not do that but they do that in today switching gears yeah. uh, how do you look at treating somebody with food addiction Okay, so you want to acknowledge that there's a condition that exists. The person eats something and they want more of it. And they want more of it because they've developed a tolerance and, and this whole phenomena that we call addiction. So the so most the, obvious the thing that we do. Tolerance is the uh, wanting to get a, a result, a feeling, yes. but you need more and more of it. Exactly, to get exactly. That feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember you taught me a, a phrase where one... Oh, yes. One one is um, too much and uh, a thousand is not enough. One is too much because it gets you started. Yes. And a thousand isn't. So you want you keep eating and eating to try to get that same. Exactly. Reward and it never comes. Exactly. It's like an itch. Once you scratch, you got a little bit of an itch. And once you scratch, it gets itchier. And then you scratch it harder and it gets even itchier. So you shouldn't have scratched it the first time because it just <laughs> got worse. Uh, that's the dynamic of addiction in, in, in a metaphor right there. So what you would want to do is you don't scratch the itch. So when you notice, oh, geez, I want something sweet. Don't give in to it because it's only going to make you want the sweet more often. What do we call that? Abstinence. So a person is trying to quit smoking and they think, oh, you know, I, I want a cigarette. Uh, but you're going to say, no, I'm not going to have one because if I have one, I'm just going to want more or, or I'm just going to continue to want more. If you've quit for a few days and then you think, you know what, I've actually not had a cigarette for a few days. I'll have a puff. Well, we all know what's going to happen. The person's going to start smoking again. Same thing with food. You have to abstinence, um, do abstinence. You can do um, uh, bridges, alternative, um, um, like, like like harm reduction. So with smoking, it's the patch or, or maybe um, uh, the gum. And with smoking, uh, pardon me, with eating, it would be something like your bowl of uh, sugar-free jello. So you can do that kind of stuff, but eventually you want to get off of that stuff. But most mainly abstinence and because abstinence is so hard then what you want to do is get support and tools so one of the tools like what you suggested earlier get it out of the house don't have it around don't go to the movie don't go to the uh, uh the bar don't go to that wedding don't go to that event because there's a lot of um food or alcohol or whatever it is there so protect yourself while you're in withdrawal by getting rid of all the triggers this is all behaviors that you wouldn't do if you didn't think that this was an addiction. That's why I'm saying you have to acknowledge that it's an addiction. Then you get remove the triggers, get support as well. Well, let's let's talk about the support a bit because yes. having come through a, a pandemic, you know, you know, worldwide, I find a lot of loners stayed at home. Yes. A lot of people just lived alone. And now I, I have come to realize that what I've been teaching is really abstinence from a drug and, and yet people couldn't do it. And then now I'm finding that I'm bringing into my uh, daily talk about support, you know, who are you getting support from? Oh no, no. And this was largely this merging the addiction world with the eating food addiction world. How important is support? And, and I have to say, if you, to those who are listening, if you've never tried this without support, you, you're really not going to have much of a chance. No, it, it's so important. Part of it is because we live in a society where everywhere it's ubiquitous. It's like smoking used to be. It's ubiquitous. Everywhere you look, there's food or there's triggers or cues or temptations. So every minute of the day, almost, unless you're locked into, into your own house, and then you've got your mind and you've got TV and you've got the internet and you've got all sorts of reminders that, th that there's something, this drug that you could take right now. Uh, you could take it the whole day. You could eat and binge and nibble the whole day. Uh, so, so we've got this, this onslaught. And how do we stop that? We have to buffer ourselves, protect ourselves. I can't do that myself because I am under um, under the barrage of temptation. I need I need somebody to hang on to. Um, uh, I, I need to have a community of people, certainly one person. This is what we might call a coach, where you call and you say, I'm having trouble. This is what I'm going to do. Somebody regularly there to... Um, 
help buffer the outside world, as it were. I call it like making it a bubble, a treatment center. A person goes in for 20, 28 days, and often people will say, it's just the group themselves that carry it. They build a buffer around, so it's this, and they say, I don't want to leave the treatment center by the end because they're protected in there. Well, you need to do that in a community outside all the time, which can be virtually or in person. And COVID uh, and, and the isolation was a real problem because it broke down a lot of those connections, but it yeah. didn't break down the invitation to eat all the time because oh. there was this big joke about stuff, you know, that you make COVID recipes and stuff like that. How do you bear isolation? Eat. Eat. Yeah. Exactly. Well, exactly. so there's hope. And I am happy to now switch gears to something that you can do if you're watching, and that's to join us at the Adapt Your Life Academy in an upcoming class. And this is a class we've given once before, and, and it's my uh, great pleasure to have Dr. Tarman be the professor of the class. T tell us a little bit about the class that's coming up. Yeah, well, okay, so the class is actually two things. Um, there's the support piece that we were talking about, and I want to uh, definitely mention that. The class itself is, remember when I was talking about how you want to acknowledge and understand this. So the sugar and, and um, food addiction class gives the sort of foundations, a lot of what we've, we've talked about today, the foundations of understanding what addiction is, how food is addictive, then what are the triggers of you, you yourself, if, if you think that you are a food addict, well, actually it helps you to, to define if you are one, then what are the triggers? And then what are the next steps? What do I do? So it gives all that information uh, that is not out there in the larger world. It's not out there, certainly not. I mean, I'm speaking medically, but also clinically. We, you, you'll get this voice um, in the public, but you won't get this from a lot of doctors. You'll get it to some degree from the keto doctors because they've got the diet. They didn't realize they had the diet, but they had the perfect diet in their hands. Um, so, so I would encourage if anybody could to find a keto doctor as well. But anyway, you're not going to get this from a, a sort of clinical medical perspective, except for this course, not yet. So I would suggest that on that level, it's valuable. But then the other thing that we're offering is a um, support group, like a sugar-free challenge coming up soon. And the main focus of that challenge is to say, okay, if you are uh, ready now is the time. We're going to give you that support, the very support that we were talking about. You're going to get the information in the course, but you're going to get the support uh, that is, I think, critical. I, I personally would not have been able to do it without support. And anybody I know who's been in long-term recovery, and what I mean by that is most people can lose the weight, but can they stay off it for 10, 20, 30 years? They can't unless they have some level of support. And we're going to introduce that um, as well. So just to kind of reiterate, if you have any interest in learning more, go to adaptyourlifeacademy.com, click on the sugar and food addiction course, get on the waiting list, learn more about the course. Uh, you'll get the information and, and heads up about the sugar-free challenge, which I think is a nominal $9 or something. So I, I hope... You know, thousands and thousands of people will sign up for the sugar-free challenge. If that wasn't enough, then you can consider taking the the larger course that actually gets the personalized support uh, as you do what really free, rephrasing it now is kind of a cold turkey keto diet off yes. of sugar for three weeks and we'll help you the best we can we we put all of our resources into the students in our classes uh so the first kind of go to adapt your life academy get more information about the sugar and food addiction course consider doing the sugar challenge and then consider doing the larger course if you need it and a percentage of folks, all you really need to know is that this is an issue and you'll be able to solve it. A percentage of you will try and not have success. It's okay. Keep trying and it will help you as best we can in these different venues. Um, and in fact, I remember, Dr. Tarman, you, you had a residential program where people got off Yes. Sure. What did you learn from that experience? Oh, it, uh, I, what I learned from that experience was uh, wow. Uh, you know, one of the things was whenever we talked about it, as we were trying to promote it, uh, it was so interesting how people would be like, what, really? 
I, I think I'd like to go. Like it was like uh, it was really good. Uh, I mean, it, they were there, there were people that were in it was a in a treatment center for drugs and alcohol. And then we had the food addiction as part of that. And the people that were sitting with the food addiction, they felt exactly the same. It was the same language, the same sense of unity everybody felt. So the person that was struggling with food addiction felt as bad as the person with uh, with uh, uh, another drug or alcohol addiction. And when they were eating, I got to tell you that uh, people were like, oh, they're not going to be able to eat our desserts. But they would look and they go, wow, that food actually looks really good. And they actually <laughs> wish that they could eat it. So uh, I think what I learned most of all was um, that it was very successful uh much quicker than I thought, like we were saying earlier, like how long does it take? Um, I was surprised at how many people felt really good after seven days. Like it wasn't like it took, yeah. you know, some, some drugs, it takes a lot longer. And for some people it took longer, but it was actually, once you got over the hump, people were like saying, I can't believe how much energy I have. And I don't feel deprived. I don't feel like I want that stuff anymore. Just like, how many of you guys are non-smokers? I used to be a smoker. When I see a cigarette now, I think, oh, it stinks. I don't want that stuff. Can you imagine having that reaction with food? I don't want that anymore. That, that's how I feel. And Eric, I bet you, you feel the same way too about your previous carbs that well, you used to eat. I've limited my, my I have a controlled sugar habit addiction. So uh, uh you know, but I, I practice avoidance for the most part. Yeah. And although my my background is not one of massive or massive, yes. a lot of weight loss, I didn't have to lose 100 pounds. I, I got yeah. into this because of the uh, actually from the weight loss side. And then thank you again for helping me merge in my mind the my uh -huh. former life of tobacco cessation. Yes. And yes. then the food, it, it, it really kind of makes sense in a way I, I couldn't have predicted yeah yeah good I'm, I'm glad and and you know just to make that connection that that um I think that of all of the addictions I have said that like I said crystal meth users would say sugar is harder but I, I would say that probably th those are also the people that will say quitting cigarettes was harder than uh you know quitting cocaine or quitting alcohol uh, there is something about cigarettes because of the ubiquity of it and the frequency in the day of it and yeah. and um the normalcy that it was it's very similar to the sugar you know we, we often say sugar is you know today's tobacco and it is on so many different levels so if somebody did quit smoking they wonder if they and they they finally could that's about what the battle of sugar addiction will be like but you will get on the other side and you'll be fine like there is hope the average number of quit attempts for tobacco is seven. Oh, is it seven okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> fortunately i think you can quit sugar with you know attempts with help yes it's fewer than seven on average but I, I, most of the people have have multiple attempts but they didn't yeah. have the information and they didn't have the support so yeah. we could probably cut it down from the seven to maybe even one or two and then just as a last note don't please don't blame yourself if yes. you're in this addictive hurricane, there's help, and we want to help you get over this if, if you need our help. Dr. Tarman, thank you so much. And you're talking to me from... Toronto, Canada. Toronto, Canada. And I really uh, hope we can help spread this information to inform people and so they can make positive changes in their health. Thanks so much. Thank you. Always happy to talk about this. If you enjoyed this video, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. And check out adapterlifeacademy.com.